1: It's Your Life is sponsored by James J.C. Cooley.
2: Life is a series of circles and cycles, phrases and stages. These are your experiences that teach you the lessons of life. You can either ignore them or embrace them. Welcome to the James Cooley Show. It's Your Life. James is a motivational speaker, author, military veteran, and founder of the J.C. Cooley Foundation. James is here to equip you to strive for greatness and overcome adversity. It's time to get equipped today for the challenges of tomorrow.
3: Now, here's the host of It's Your Life, James Cooley. Hello, welcome to It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley. And wow, we got a fantastic show to begin this Tuesday with. Uh, we're going to be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I got a fantastic guest and. In studio tonight, and I I tell you, I'm in studio. I'm I'm, I'm kind of burning up in here, Noah. Hey, it's good to see you, though, man. It's worth it. It's good to have you live and in person. Man, I'm glad to be back, man, and I've just been uh, on the road, on the plane, and uh, I, I'm stopping in a different city every day. <laughs> and we shouldn't point out to our
1: esteemed uh, general manager that you're going to be enjoying some uh, some
3: Hawks action at the end of the week. Man, you know uh, I'm going to be uh, broadcasting from the State Farm Arena. First, I
1: thought you were joking, and then today I'm like, no,
3: he's serious. <laughs> well, you talk to D Man, so you want know, I mean? yeah. <laughs> yeah, so So, uh, no, we we looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to uh, being with my my boys, is what I call them. Uh, uh from five years old some of them uh, you know uh, 50 plus years you know and uh, we still friends today and so uh i'm looking forward to being there looking forward to uh, uh just catching up and i'm also uh very very excited about the game being in person <laughs> doesn't get better than that does it oh no man it's great you know so uh, of course we got my great co-host here how you doing michelle
4: doing good i'm rooting to go all the way the brooklyn nets basically they're from my hometown of new york city five boroughs gotta stick with the hometown sorry
3: oh wow can't
4: do it okay
3: uh, we, we got a fantastic guest i'm, I'm afraid D master who who she is a uh, uh rooting for rachel who who are you rooting for
5: i used to live in atlanta I used to live in Atlanta, so I would say Atlanta. But I really like Michelle because she looks like she's from... The Black Panther. She looks like the Black Panther sister. So I'm gonna go with you, Michelle.
3: You know, everybody tear her. Down. Don't don't blow her head up. Uh, you know, she's gonna start thinking that she's an actor. Shuri. You know. And all, all, Wakanda all of forever? <laughs> and Noah, come on, man. You know, I, I, who who are you rooting for, Noah? To tell you the truth,
1: I only like baseball, so I have no. You know, I have no dog in this hunt. So you I'm gonna say to because our general manager
3: likes the Hawks. <laughs> We got to go with the Hawks. Hey, you know, you heard what the, we was in the general manager's office today, and uh, he he had this a uh, uh, floor mat, uh, like the basketball court of the Hawks. He <laughs> is a big deal. Loves the Hawks big time. Oh, man. And I, I tell you, so wh- I'm excited about that, but I also miss being uh, home. I miss my dog. I miss my beautiful wife. You know, but, uh, you know, you got to do it. it. Got to do what you got to do, my friend.
4: <laughs> tell me why first then
3: the doc um okay <laughs> well, you know it's always you always first you know so uh i tell you I haven't been doing a whole lot of stuff today no other than uh just like i said uh, jumping on the plane getting caught up on the tarmac and uh but i'm glad to be here i'm glad to be back in the studios like we just talked about and always glad to see you face to face my friend
1: doesn't get better than that. It's nice hearing your voice downstream, but when I'm able to, you know, see you in the hallways and have a little fellowship,
3: nothing better. And nothing better. You know, I'm excited about this show, Noah. I'm excited about this show today, and uh, I want to get this thing started. And if you want to be part of the conversation, that's one Again, that's one 888 Michelle, can you tell our listening audience the purpose of the show tonight?
4: Yes, I will. The title of the show is the Demithologi- guys. I'm, I'm time de mythologizing. Oh gosh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the purpose of the show today is to learn what DEI is about, how companies, organizations are responding to DEI, to learn why there are some resistance to DEI, and the current events and examples of DEI.
3: Can you uh, tell them about a great, great? Guess and I, I think she announced that as the de- methodologicalizing. Uh, She's gonna tell us a little bit more about that. But I'm, I'm just excited uh, uh, to to be talking about this again. So, can you please introduce our great guest to our audience?
4: Yes, Rachel Rudolph. Manurazi, is a change management expert seamlessly engineering transformational changes, working with C-suite executives in companies and nonprofits, dedicating more than two decades to helping executives and teams transform their challenges into opportunities for extraordinary growth and performance, primarily focused on things from chaos to clarity. Rachel believes that change is inevitable and thriving is a choice. She believes that change comes by utilizing the four E's, empathy, encouragement, education, leading to empowerment. Having always been a minority throughout her career in corporate America, Rachel is also a diversity and inclusion thought leader. As a black woman originally from Zimbabwe, Rachel refused to let her gender, race, or place of birth determine her career path. Rachel advocates for diversity and inclusion within organizations' culture to allow employees to feel like they belong and to bring their best selves to work. In her Zimbabwe culture, your name, your child, what you want them to become, and her name translates to a comforting, empathizing, and loving woman. Rachel advises and coaches senior executives in private and nonprofit organizations. She believes that investing in people from leadership down will create a thriving business. Her work has given her an appreciation of the extraordinary demands that are made on leaders in today's culture. She works to bring the best leading-edge ideas and approaches to her clients to help them make the changes that are most important to them and with the culture of their organizations. Before setting up her own consulting service, Rachel worked in executive management in numerous industries, including healthcare, IT, banking and finance. While not hiking the hills surrounding her Los Angeles home, Rachel volunteers for various organizations in her community. The James Cooley Show, It's Your Life, proudly presents Miss Rachel Rudo Monarzi.
3: Welcome to the show, Rachel. Welcome to the show. And uh, before we even get started, you know, we're going to get along because uh, Michelle mentioned that uh, you had this thing called the four E's. You know, my motto is the four C's.
5: Yes. Tell us about the four
3: C's. Create, collaborate, commit with confidence. And you know, I tell you, if you live by those things, that create what we call the big C character. Character. So tell me about those four E's. Empathy. Empathy.
5: Encouragement, leading to empowerment through education. So that is what I think is important to help individuals and
1: companies to be the best versions of themselves.
3: I hey know. I think we done jumped on the right track already. That's the first. I uh, see a
1: lot of parallel <laughs> commitment and a lot of parallel ideas taking shape. I love this.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, Rachel. Uh, I, I know we, we're going to take a state, station break in a few minutes, but we can start this. Uh, Can you tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself, your background and where you grew up?
5: Absolutely. So um, I was born in Zimbabwe, which is uh, the country that looks like a teapot on top of South Africa, Southern Africa. And I was born into an apartheid like system, uh, born to educated, um, college educated parents um, came to America for college and pretty much never left. So um, I always say that I my young life was in Zimbabwe, but then my adult life has been in America. So I have the the beauty of having experienced life in Africa and in America.
3: Okay, so you, you, you was educated in America. Which schools uh, did you attend uh, uh, here? I, I, that's the ranch. It ain't on the
5: paper. Ohio. So I went to private Catholic schools in Zimbabwe. So the strategy we had with my family was for me to come to a small private college because I didn't want to be one of many students like OSU. Ohio State University was an option, but we opted for Otterbein College, which was was a smaller college, which was perfect for me. Because if you consider the culture shock, being away from your family, you know, being new, being a total stranger in a new city with no knowing no one. Right. That was perfect for me. The small college campus was perfect for me.
3: You know, and and that's uh, that's a great analogy, because uh, I believe that uh, when you are in a tight uh, group of a small college and you have the attention from the professors that uh, are actually feeding you, I believe that many times that you get a better understanding which opens up the mind a little bit more where you can expand and and just increase your educational opportunities but we're going to take a station break but we're also going to come back and we're going to delve deep down into diversity equity inclusion and let rachel tell us what it is it's your life i'm james Coley.
6: Available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold.
0: The Answer, San Diego. Streaming now on Smart Speakers and Odyssey.com. It's time to dream big, think
2: big, and be big. It's time for more It's Your Life. Here's your host, James
3: Cooley. Welcome back to It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley, and we got Rachel Roxy in the house tonight. And if you want to be part of this great conversation, that's one 888 344 four, four, Again, that's one 344 Rachel. Okay, so. Yes. We're talking about this great topic, and mm-hmm. neither Michelle or I can pronounce the first word, but we do know what DEI is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about uh, uh, your version of D- DEI? What got you interested in, in doing these things and what pulled you away from corporate America? Let's uh, just, just tell our listeners a little bit about that.
5: Okay. So, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a vast topic. The conversation includes race, sexual orientation, gender identity, ability and marginalized identities. And that's not only race. A lot of times when you say diversity, equity, and inclusion, people immediately think race and they shut down. But when we say marginalized identities, that could include people with disabilities, right? Um, In the diversity, equity, and inclusion world, we like to say that diversity is getting a seat at the table, right? Equity is being invited into the room, right? So equity, be, equity, I guess, would be the first thing, right? You get invited into the room. Diversity is you're a different person. You're sitting at the table. And inclusion is sharing your views and actually being heard because um, a lot of times you have representation, but it's more tokenism. You're not there. You're there to meet a quota. So diversity, equity, and inclusion is about individuals being able to bring their whole selves to work and when i say whole self everything about you invisible visible disabilities everything where you can be the best version of yourself on the job so um that is what diversity equity and inclusion inclusion means that you're empowered to be the best version of yourself
3: yeah a question though what what got you involved? Why, why, why did you want oh, to be a part my. of this? <laughs> you thought you were going to get away with that one. No.
5: It was not intentional. It definitely wasn't intentional. So um, I came to America. I went to school, did what I was told to do by my family, got my education, and started working in corporate America. And um, experienced corporate burnout and didn't quite know what to do with myself, was trying to find myself. I called it a midlife crisis, you call it whatever you want to call it, midlife crisis. I don't know what to do with myself. It's not just about the money. And um, I decided to go into consulting. I did um, a certification. Education is key. So I did a certification with a company called the Genesis Group to be a consultant. And and, um, after I did that, um, one of my potential clients, this was after George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd. So I had a potential client who had... um, come to me for strategic planning. And they specifically, again, I think because I'm black, right? They asked me, "Hey, do you do diversity equity and inclusion?" And I was thinking, "No, I don't." <laughs> and they said, "Yes, we want to we want to work with you on strategic planning, but we really want for you to do a presentation for us in diversity equity and inclusion." And being a person of color, being black, being an immigrant, right? I I know what it's like to be a minority, to be at the table, but to be the only one at the table. So I thought, okay, let me begin to look into it. So that's actually how I got into diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it turns out that everything about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I was telling you about the midlife crisis, the corporate burnout, it checked. It checked with all my personal goals, core values, everything lined up. And I had the lived experience, and then I proceeded to get the the certifications and the knowledge so I could become an expert in that field.
4: Wow. Uh, Corporate burnout and making a change, I I really do like that. I I think a lot of people can definitely identify with that, Rachel. So how do you help implement change with individuals and within organizations in your role?
5: it goes back to the four E's right at the end of the day, it's about establishing a strategic plan that works for that organization. Um, as a consultant, I come in with empathy, encouragement, education, and empower people to be the organization that they want to be through strategic planning. Um, one of the things that I learned from the Genesis group was um, a way to do strategic planning where the consultant does not come in and tell you what to do. It's called vision-based uh, strategic planning, where you get the buy-in from the organization. So as a consultant, I come in, I don't tell you what to do. I come in possibly knowing what the solution is, but it's all about sitting with the, the stakeholders and getting all the information because, Michelle, you might have a different opinion from Noah. And Noah might have a different opinion from, from J- JC, right? From James. But we need all your input in, in order to be able to build the best strategic plan for your organization. Long-term plan. So that is how I, I work with organizations. Strategic planning.
4: Well, we see there's a shift where companies are becoming more socially responsible and vocal about DEI uh, sustainability. In other words, do you think it will last or is it just a sad and a checkbox item for some companies?
5: That is something that I struggle with because um, a lot of sometimes it seems like the organizations are doing it as a checkbox Because there's a lawsuit. Something has happened from the outside that's making them react. But as a consultant, I can't judge if I am retained to do the work. I do the work and believe that the change will happen. Um, A lot of people are resistant to change. But what I always say is that change is inevitable and thriving is a choice. We're living in a time right now where so much has changed. And if you look back and think about May last year, May 2020, this company that I told you about, they approached me, I think, in June of last year after the murder of George Floyd, right? So much change has happened within companies. We were hit with the pandemic, right? So we were all already dealing with a pandemic. I remember picking my son up from school and saying, we're going home for two weeks. Well, two weeks ended up being 15 months, No one was mentally, emotionally or spiritually prepared for that. So organizations, companies had to shift. Individuals had to shift. New policies had to come into place. And then while people are dealing with the changes of children being at home, working at home, figuring figuring out how to do things remotely, the murder of George Floyd happened. And it just, it caused shockwaves throughout the whole world. And organizations again had to react. There were there were a lot of um, mental health issues going on at the time. A lot of public statements came out at the time. So um, I want to say that it's a fad. Going back to your to your question, I want to say it's a fad. Some people want to tell themselves that it's a fad, but it's not a fad. And if you are a leader within an, organza- or, in, within an organization, it's best to. Even if you think it's a fad, it's best to begin to try and change. Change is not easy, but begin to try and educate yourself to learn because everything is shifting. The world we're living in is shifting and changing all the time.
1: Rachel, producer Noah here. And there's obviously change being kind of the key element in this entire discussion for this hour, what would you say is the greatest challenge to change? And then second part to that question, I know we're running up against a break, but how do you strategize to make sure that you can take a company or an individual and get them to see why it's beneficial to change in a certain direction?
5: What I have seen within my work is the the biggest resistance to change a lot of times is the leadership because... Um, Of ignorance and of fear, because change means that the status quo is changing and things are going in a direction that they're not familiar with. So in my experience as a consultant, the biggest resistance to change has been the leadership. But for me, it's not a problem. It's not a challenge, because a lot of times, like I said, it's they are ignorant. They don't know. They don't understand and they're afraid. So that's where. The consultant steps in with the education Uh, and you have to be patient and you have to empathize as you educate. So everything starts from the leadership.
1: Are there certain strategies that you use when you're talking to the leadership that are effective?
5: It's case by case. It's case by case. And um, when you go into an organization, you begin with assessments And, and based on those assessment results, you pick what track you're going to go with, with the leadership. So, um, everything is case by case. There isn't one paintbrush for everybody, but it's, it's building, establishing and creating a relationship with an organization for the purposes of change and growth.
3: Makes sense. It does make sense. And, um, what are some of the, uh, the major challenges that you get from leadership when change is inevitable, but uh, they don't want to? They keep coming up with reasons why that that's not the environment.
5: When that happens, and this has happened to, to me with some clients, when that happens, it just doesn't go anywhere. You, you know the leadership the buy in has to come from the top because change comes from the top. Um, so it's the leadership at the top, and then sometimes you have the middle middle management, and which we sometimes call the frozen middle. And then you have everybody else. So I had an organization that I was working with out of the Bay Area, and the lead.
3: I, I tell you, hold that thought. Hold because that thought. I we got to take a station break, but I want to come back and I want to continue to hit on that topic a little bit more. And if you want to be part of the conversation, that's 1-888-344-117. Again, that's 1-888-344-117. We'll be back shortly with Rachel. It's your life. I'm James Cooley. There's
2: more stories of greatness to help you overcome adversity. Coming up on It's Your Life with James Cooley.
6: Available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold.
2: It's time to dream big, think big, and be big. It's time for more. It's your life. Here's your host, James Cooley.
3: Welcome back, to this Life. I'm James Cooley. And wow, we we got Rachel here, and she is giving our listening audience an understanding, a lesson on diversity, equity, and Inclusion, and I tell you, hey Noah, the way she is explaining this, is she makes makes it, it easy to easy.
1: understand, and really breaks it down on how we can all. I th-
3: think, understand this stuff a little bit deeper. Any companies out there, if you're listening to this, you might want to hire this young lady to come in and, and help make your company even better and get the environment right. And if you want to be part of this conversation, listen on audience, that's one 344 1170 Again, that's one 344 1170 Rachel, prior to going to the break, uh, we was asking about the resistance uh, uh, from the top. Because uh, most organizations, first of all, they don't want to spend the money. Secondly, they think that their organization is perfect, even though uh, it could be split all apart in by 10 different ways because everybody's not included. So and you was uh, eloquently explaining that. Can you continue?
5: Right. Um, what I was saying is a lot of organizations, it's a checkbox item so um, the EEOC for example they want to make sure that they're in compliance with the EEOC and it's just a checkbox check box checkbox item but it's not it's not a transformational change within the organization but you asked me for an example of resistance and I I brought a response that I got from an executive that I wanted to read to you so you can hear some of the resistance and and one of the misconceptions that a lot of um executives, leadership have is that they feel that diversity, equity, and inclusion is all about race, right? It's all about affirmative action, which it's not. Um, So I'm going to read to you the response that um, my organization got from someone in leadership, right? So the question was, to what extent will diversity, equity, and inclusion serve or conflict with the organization's current identity, including the, priori- uh, including the priority of its values. The, the executive response, this was his response. DEI creates a potential conflict with our organization's ethics. As a professional, I will not allow DEI to compromise the integrity of my teams or dictate outcomes that are not based on upholding organizational ethics. Then he goes on to say, if an unqualified employee is placed on my team in the name of DEI, I cannot allow that participant to compromise the project. There's always an opportunity for an unqualified participant to learn through involvement in a team project. However, for an outside authority to declare a participant to be qualified when they're not violates our organizational ethics. So this organization's, this leader sees diversity, equity, and inclusion as being forced onto him by the government. And this organization had federal contracts, so they had to do the training that is required by the federal government to have diverse people working with them, right? Um, And he said, um, I will not validate work that has been compromised, as this example outlines. So basically he's saying... Hiring diversity, which to me, diversity is not just color. Diversity is male, female, abilities, veterans. It's it's everything, right? People who can see, people who can't see. So, But in his head, it was color. So in, in his head, it was, DEI means that I have to hire a black person and black people are not qualified. That's basically what he was saying. So this is some of the resistance that... I come across with executives in the workforce, which is actually very sad because there's so much more to diversity, equity and inclusion.
3: Yeah, I know Michelle is going to ask a question, but I got to follow up on that one uh, because uh, I worked in the government for uh, close to 40 years. Right. And um, I don't believe that that guy, if he had a government contract, uh, the government figured that out and his company is not very successful right now. You know, right. that's just how the government works. I mean, right. You know, so. Uh,
5: Unfortunately, uh, I think with that organization, they do take on the people, but they've prejudged them. And those people are not able to be the they're, they're the best versions of themselves at work. And there's probably high turnover rate. There's probably a lot of other problems that are experienced within that organization because of that mindset.
3: Yeah, and that mindset uh, uh as you know we talked about this is uh in, in the military and in, in the government, uh I experienced uh, a lot of that <laughs> uh just because uh, uh people do not see diversity as all of these other things that you just mentioned. It's more than just color. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I'm sorry, Michelle. I know you had a question.
4: <laughs> no, I wanna follow up on that, um, Rachel, with a question. So as James was saying, and um, I commented on and what you said, people, some, some organizations and leadership may not even want to understand what DEI is all about because they want to keep things as is. Some people do not like change you know, whatever it is. So you can't ever shut down something unless you open your mind to find out what it is and how it betters your company. Right. So with that being said, knowing how maybe some leadership feels about DEI in their mind, what is the greatest challenge to change their minds and for them to really see what DEI is really all about?
5: Initially, I thought that it was a huge challenge, but I've pivoted, right? And my pivot is I just don't talk about race. So instead of trying to argue with you about what DEI is not, right, I tell you what DEI is. And DEI um, is making accommodations for people with disabilities and special needs, right? So. Making sure that people with disabilities can get in and out of your organization. If a person has back problems, that they have a desk where they can stand up and sit down. All those things are DEI-related issues, right? Uh, DEI means that an organization has generational intelligence. Right now, there's seven generations. We have seven generations from the baby boomers to uh the gen what, what is it the alpha generation but they're not working yet right we ha- and each and every one of those generations has different needs right they have a, a baby boomer is thinking about retirement um gen z and millennials are thinking about the environment they will not stay someone like me i would stay with an organization i'm older i'd stay with an organization out of loyalty the younger generations don't do that. So diversity, equity, and inclusion makes sure that we understand the needs of the older people and the younger people, right? Um, DEI means that you make special accommodations for veterans. You're a veteran. There are certain things that I didn't know. Um, for example, UCERA, right? The UCERA Act, which is the Uniformed Service Employment Reemployment Act, where If a veteran has to, if someone within the military has to go to work, you have to keep their job. Things like that. So it's making special accommodations for veterans. Um, DEI means that... You have to hire people from different religions and you have to make special accommodations. I work for an organization that was Orthodox Jewish. I did not understand when my assistant told me that she had to leave at Friday at a certain time. To me, you're my assistant. If I'm here until seven on Friday, you're here until seven on Friday. But she had religious obligations where she had to leave. And the times changed depending on season, right? Winter, summer. So you have to make those accommodations. That person has to be able to bring the best version of themselves, different religions, um, being supportive of the LGBTQ community, LGBTQ plus community. I, I, I have a friend who works for Deloitte's and um, he, she, when he started working, when she started working at Deloitte's, she was Joe And now she's Josephine and Deloitte supported her through that entire change. It is not for me or for anyone else to, to judge. She is able to show up every single day at Deloitte and be the best version of herself. And five years ago, people knew her as Joe and now they know her as Josephine and nothing has changed. She still has her job. She's still being the best version of herself. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, being mindful of the Equal Pay Act. I always talk about things that involve me last. I'm a woman, I'm black. So I try and not talk about race and being a woman, but hey, women don't get paid the same amount of money that men do in the same jobs. So diversity, equity, and inclusion is making sure there's equity. If you and I and Noah are working the same job, but you're all getting more money than me, that's not okay. So diversity, equity, and inclusion... Make sure that, you know, we take care of things like that. Making sure there's no harassment on the job. Um, Making sure we accommodate mothers when they have babies. They can have maternity leave. Making sure we accommodate fathers when they have babies. Paternity leave. Before we always used to just think it was women who want to take time off, right? When they have children. But fathers do too. So diversity, equity, and inclusion is not just about race. So that is one of the things, that's how I deal with the resistance. I don't want to talk about what it is that you're resistant to. I want to show you that there's so much more to diversity, equity, and inclusion.
1: All of that really makes sense, Rachel. And on all of that, what other isms that maybe we don't even know exist, maybe some of us have not heard of them, so what other isms do you find that actually exist in the workforce?
5: The isms that um, exist in the workforce. We have ableism, which um, talks about your physical and mental ability. We have sexism, gender, right? Michelle, you and I are female. I told you about my friend Joe, who became Josephine. Uh, Heterosexism, that would cover Joe and Josephine as well. Classism, right? We never think about that. The socioeconomic status. Right. We never think about that. But that makes a difference too. ageism. I feel like ageism is beginning to affect me just a little bit when I see these whippersnappers. (laughs) When I see the millennials and the younger generation, I feel like, oh, my goodness, I'm getting older. Um, So those are some of the isms, not just racism. Right.
1: Yeah, and some of those that you just mentioned didn't even come to my mind. So it's good to say, hey, you know what? That does that does exist. That is out there. We need to be mindful of those things.
3: Totally. And absolutely. You, you are breaking this down. You are absolutely fantastic in how you explain uh, the topic because uh, I talk about this all the time, and I have some great speakers that come on and talk about. This is a serious education, and, uh, I, and I, I look at my producer, and I look at him, and, and I can tell when it's going great. Yeah, because some of this stuff just
1: isn't talked about quite nearly enough, and so it's good to be able to have a lengthy discussion that brings us all the, to the forefront.
3: Yeah, so we're going to have to take a station break. But the great thing about it, listen, audience, we're going to come back and continue to talk to racial more. It's your life. And if you want to be part of this, that's one eight eight eight. 344 again that's one 888 we will be back to continue our conversation with Richard. it's your life i'm james cooley there's more stories of greatness to
2: help you overcome adversity coming up on it's your life with james cooley
6: Available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold.
0: FM 96.1 North County AM 1170 San Diego.
2: The answer. It's time to dream big, think big, and be big. It's time for more It's Your Life. Here's your host, James
3: Cooley. Welcome back to It's Life. I'm James Cooley, and I I tell you, we got Rachel that's really putting it down, and uh, she uh, is uh, making this where everybody can understand this and uh and rachel I, i'm telling you this is fantastic and um you mentioned something and if in the listening audience uh this is last segment if you want to be part of the conversation that's one eight 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 three four four eleven seventy. again that's one rachel earlier we was talking about uh i think you mentioned something about it was 41 uh Uh, Women that head in Fortune 500 companies and uh, you identified two in particular. Can you uh, tell our listening audience a little bit about that?
5: Yes. Um, A record number of 41 women are leading Fortune 500 companies today. This is according to Fortune's latest list. For the first time, we have two black women, Roz Brewer, who is heading Walgreens and um, Tasonda Brown-Duckett from TIAA. And she's serving as uh, CEO uh, for TIAA. TIAA. Um, We also have for the first time, not necessarily a a woman of color, but um, Jane Frazier is heading Citigroup and making history as the first woman at the helm of a U.S. bank. Um... So a lot of changes have happened. For me, I feel like last year, the pandemic, I wrote an article September of last year. The article was called Pandemic, Process, uh, pandemic, pandemic and Process as a Catalyst for Change. And I know that I personally was not expecting a pandemic. And when the pandemic happened... I had to pivot as an individual, right? Because you have to figure out what you're going to do to sustain yourself. And organizations had to do the same thing too. So the pandemic hit. And I know people want to minimize what happened with George Floyd. But for me, George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, I remember my parents were in Zimbabwe at the time. My parents live here and in Zimbabwe. And my mom to this day talks about how she can... Never forget hearing him saying he can't breathe. So, one thing I talked about generational intelligence, right? Social media, we're in, in, we're in the information age right now. So, something happens here today, it's seen all over the world. So, it, it caused a shift within corporate America. It caused a shift even within um, the world, you know, because I'm linked in with people all over the world who do diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, George Floyd made us all face what we knew but didn't want to face about race in the world, right? And I I know I said diversity, equity, and inclusion isn't all about race, but race and racism, because of the civil rights movement that happened here in America, and me being from Zimbabwe, what happened with apartheid in Zimbabwe, that is a catalyst for change. So we're going through that right, right now. And some of these things that we're seeing, because last year we didn't have two black women, in positions of leadership and now we do and why is that it's because of external changes that organizations have to shift and accommodate
3: and organizations have to make adjustments and uh, you, you brought up uh, some great points uh, uh about uh, you know equal opportunity equal pay and and and, and you're absolutely right and uh, i think we got a caller uh, on the line, uh, uh, we got a call on the line. No, we well, do.
1: You might recognize. Uh,
3: we have Chuck calling in. Oh, uh, Chuck, how you doing? Are you there, Chuck? <laughs>
7: I am, James. James, you, Michelle, and Noah have just been killing it each night. Um, It's a pleasure to be calling in because I've been listening to you and Rachel and all of you guys with the discussion. I wonder, Rachel, if you could take it a little on a different set. We know what's happening in corporate America. We know we have to uh, DEI and the changes people have to make. It's just right out there, and people are talking about it. How about making some of those distinctions or conversations with regards to nonprofits, nonprofit leaders? Because you would think that nonprofits and nonprofit leaders tend to have uh, more diversity, equity, and inclusion within their organization. And yet, um, from you and from your experience and from the work that you're doing, how working with nonprofit leaders. What are some of the changes you see that they have to make during this time to encompass, to um, expand upon this topic and yet continue to be a catalyst for change?
5: For the nonprofits, I would have to say that um, they definitely have to pivot when it comes to technology Um, and being able to reach a different generation in a different way. So I've seen nonprofits shifting and doing things more on social media to get money um, because the baby boomers who used to send checks in every single month, they're getting older and some of them are dying. So you need to tap into the younger generation. So nonprofits have to pivot, in my opinion, technology wise and um, goes back again to diversity, equity, and inclusion where you have to include different people from different ages, different races, to come to the table to be able to brainstorm. So, I, I hope I, I answered your question.
7: Yeah, that's great. That's great. I appreciate it, and I'm going to continue to twist it off the air. You guys are all doing a great job. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you,
4: Chuck. Um, Rachel, um, you um you know, training, giving your opinion and strategizing organizations regarding DEI. What have you learned about yourself regarding DEI and you helping these organizations um, with this concept?
5: Michelle, I learned that for me, again, George Floyd was pivotal because I have a son. So it's that realization that, you know, You may have a son and he's black, he's in America. He could end up in the same position as George Floyd. My realization was that I was an ostrich, right? I saw everything that was happening around me, but because I already had a seat at the table, I was that token black woman at the table. I kind of turned a blind eye, not turned a blind eye, but I I wasn't as active as I am now. So that is the... Major change that I would say I have gone through where i 'm now vocal about the things that are in my heart before it was just in my heart, but now hey i 'm on the radio talking about it
1: I think that 's important, Rachel. A lot of us over the years have been you know everything 's kind of like more fast paced now, and with the information age the te- you know the technology making everything coming at us so fast. Uh, it it makes it a lot easier to speak up. And I think that that's something that we should definitely all do. What are the most common myths, though, regarding DEI? Because there's probably a lot of misconceptions out there, I imagine.
5: For me, what I've observed, again, is that the most common myth is that it's all about race. It's all about affirmative action. And it's not. And I, I want to bring up Naomi Osaka, with what she's going through right now, that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. She has made a statement where she says, I cannot bring my best my best self to the tennis court after all the reporters have bombarded me and put me off whack. I don't want to do this. And she got fined and she dropped out, right? That is her speaking up for herself, for her mental health. And that is something that needs to be looked at within the tennis world. So um there that's one of the myths i think i want to address
3: i think that's a big one mm-hmm. wow you know uh i'm just amazed and uh i'm learning so much and i thought i knew a lot about this topic but i ain't hey, no i I, I, don't know, I don't know i don't know i don't know anything about it i'm, I'm learning I'm, I'm just she's I'm, definitely brought like i was saying earlier a lot more depth i believe to this conversation and she has and you know i got to I gotta ask this question. If I don't do that, my my producer's gonna say, "JC, you didn't throw, you didn't give her a question to throw off." Okay, so mm-hmm. you're doing a lot of great things out there in the community, nonprofit, corporate world, and that you you said that uh, you was kind of turning a blind eye uh, a while back. What will, what would Rachel today, Rachel, if she had an opportunity to talk to Rachel twenty twenty five years ago? What, what advice would you give her?
5: I would tell Rachel to let her light shine and not, light, not hide her light under a bush. I'm a Sunday school teacher, so I teach the kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Won't hide it under a bush. And I've been hiding my light under a bush for a long time. So that's what I would tell Rachel. Be your authentic self always.
3: How can I listen audience get in touch with you? Uh the to, to get uh you and their organization uh to help them out and what's the best information that you can get them on how they can get in touch with you?
5: On my website and it's www.rachelrudo.com, R-A-C-H-E-L-R-U-D-O.com, com and on LinkedIn, Rachel Munarudzi.
3: You know, I'm telling you again, I'm telling you now, that uh we got to have you back on this show. Right, wow. Noah? <laughs> you know, we, one hour was definitely not enough. We gotta we gotta get her back, man. We're put in the same situation as Jordan. You know, so Jordan, we started out with one and now we're on segment four. She I think she's in that in that group, Noah. It's gotta be at least several conversations.
5: So was this part one?
3: This is part one. This is one. part one, okay. officially. <laughs> hey, you know, I listen to the audience. I, I, you know, I, I hope you got as much out of this as I, I did. Rachel, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank
2: you
5: for having me. Come, but
3: you're coming back, right?
5: I'm coming. Hey, part one.
3: <laughs> I'd I like to thank my great uh, co-host, uh, Michelle Cooley. How you doing back in Dallas? I'll see you in about five or six days. I'd like to thank my fantastic uh, producer, Noah. Most important, i like to thank our listening audience for taking time uh, to uh, listen to us every night and we are always looking for sponsors so we can continue to bring this great message to you and we'll be back tomorrow same time same place i will be in the studio noah it's your life i'm james cooley